Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us today. We have the privilege of bringing a really unique guest to you, Mr. Shankar Nath. After 20 years in the traditional financial services industry, Mr. Shankar Nath moved on to become a content creator on YouTube. And he teaches us the secrets of how he manages his portfolio and shares his insights through his journey, both as a content creator and an investor. Trust me, this is a podcast you don't want to miss. Hey guys, welcome to the 37th episode of the Indian Market Story. We're here with a really unique and special guest, Mr. Shankar Nadji, who's had a very interesting journey, um, you know, from being a BFSI, you know, corporate guy to now being a Finfluencer and content creator. Shankarji, uh, please, please do tell us, how did you, you know, fall into this mess? How did you go from, you know, being a respected corporate employee to the bane of SEBI nowadays? Uh, yeah, thank you so much, uh, Varun, for having me here. Uh, I think Finfluencer is pushing it a bit. I'm just someone who started very recently. But yes, uh, things have been good so far. I think people have shown a lot of love and respect to what I'm doing. So uh, thanks for, you know, kind of uh, having me here. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a question that I get quite often, actually. A lot of people ask me, you know, uh, why did you move after 20 years of working and now you're doing something that probably a, a 20-year-old, 25-year-old would do, which is creating content. Uh, there were a couple of reasons to it. I think when I started within ET Money, so I've worked about seven months, seven years in ET Money. And the last two years were, I was actually doing YouTube there. Okay. So I moved from that uh, business function, I had moved into a content creation function. Uh, so there was, uh, it was not like a jerky start. I had mm-hmm. some practice around it. But then a couple of things happened. Uh, I, I realized that uh, I reached a stage in my career where uh, my finances were kind of taken care of. Mm-hmm. And, you know, money is a big thing, right? right. And, and I talk about money, right? Yeah. So that way, the finances were kind of taken care of. In fact, there's a very nice math around it, uh, you know, mm-hmm. something for you and your viewers. Uh, simple math. So if you are 40 years of age, so so I was 42 mm-hmm. when I moved into this. And the math is simple. All it says is, if you have a rupee and you put it in an instrument which gives you 12.2% uh, returns every year, which is easily mm-hmm. possible yeah. in an equity kind of a yeah, fund. Yeah. One rupee becomes 10 rupees in 20 years. So so, so if I have, let's say, a crore, I know at the age of 62, I have 10 crores with me. So that math kind of played in my head. And I said, hey, you know, financially, I think things are pretty sorted. So that's my first check mark. Mm-hmm. The second check mark is uh, what I always wanted to do. Uh, there are three passions that I have. One is investing. And, and I worked in so many BFSI mm-hmm. industry companies. Uh, second is uh, teaching. So I have a passion for uh, teaching. Uh, people call me the great Gyani sometimes. So I guess that comes from there. And thirdly, I love creativity. So YouTube became that perfect kind of uh, trinity for me where I could do my teaching. I could do talk about investing and I could be creative the way I wanted to be. So these were the two things that kind of pushed me towards become a content creator. Well, that's really cool, man. That's really, really cool. I, I think YouTube is genuinely such a fantastic platform. Um, and you know, we have the opportunity to give gyan to so many people like this. So I, I want to understand more about your journey on YouTube. Um, so you got started in, I believe, mid-10, 2020? Uh, Correct. And so from there, we were sitting now in 2024. So it's been four years on YouTube. That's a very long time. Right. So what was that journey? Like, how did you grow on YouTube? What was your first YouTube video? I'd love to know that. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so uh, so I had no idea how to, you know, kind of even, uh, uh, I mean, I couldn't even think what goes behind actually creating a video per se. Mm-hmm. 
So, uh, so we want to get on the right foot. So we actually hired a studio. That was how the first video came about. So there was a professional video in Gurgaon. I was there, another colleague of mine, we were there. And uh, we were zapped because I was just wearing my regular shirt and jeans mm -hmm. and I was there. And there they had a makeup artist. They had someone to take care of the audio. They had a couple of directors. They had light setups. They had light guys there. Uh, they had one costume designer and everything. I was like, wow, man. Yeah. wow. Yeah, that's how, that's how the start was, right? And uh, this first video that we created, and they had this nice uh, teleprompter there, you know, mm -hmm. and I still use a teleprompter for my videos. I find it comfortable that way. Uh, so so the, the whole thing was there. Uh, the first video was on some mutual fund. Uh, so So the script was also given to me, and believe me, if you look at that video now, it's like so horrible to look at. I was like purely reading from that yeah. teleprompter. I was like, and, and this guy is like, uh, chin niche karo. Because you know, uh, yeah. you know, this was visible, right? And, yeah, and yeah. he's looking, not looking nice. He's like, and I'm like really staring at the teleprompter and I'm like talking and it's like coming out so weird. Uh, yeah, it was a small four minute video. So that's how things started. Uh, so we, we used the studio for a couple of shoots. So about 10 odd videos we would have done there. And then we moved everything in-house. Then uh, uh, I joined the team on a permanent basis. And then we created our own studio setup, something like what we have mm -hmm. here. So we had one at ET Money of our own. So yeah, it's been an evolution of sorts. Uh, we, we figured out how things need to be done, uh, how to do the editing process. So we got a full-time editor with us. Uh, that's, that's how it kind of uh, happened. And then when I kind of moved into my own setup, uh, Oh, I had seen the ET money scenario, right? Mm -hmm. So I thought maybe you need to have a studio or something yeah, like yeah. that. But but no, that's where, you know, I, I hired a freelance videographer. And this guy actually kind of encouraged me that, you know, let's let's test it out. Let's see how it is. You know, if we yeah. put our user own sofa, we use our own stuff. Uh, uh, we didn't go for anything fancy, uh, just a few lights. Uh, it was a very expensive microphone. <laughs> I, I still use a 600 rupee microphone. It's, let's test it out. You know, tomorrow yeah. you can always improve things, right? Of course. And that worked perfectly for us. Uh, what we realized is content is the is the big deal. Uh, yeah. All these peripherals can be ignored by the user as long as you're doing your stuff well. Yeah. And and that became a nice kicker for us. So yeah. That's how the evolution went. You know, from a from a professional setup to a seemingly amateur setup, from a scripted video, uh, from a script which was given to mm -hmm. me to something which I'm doing now, mm -hmm. which is writing my own scripts, doing my own research. So, so no, I, I can I can really get where you're coming from because you know from my side also we've had we've been doing this for a year and there's been like I think four three or four different evolutions. I think we started out uh, I don't know I started out we got a videographer. It's terrible quality. It was a uh, terrible video. I don't even want to look at it nowadays. Right. In just a year later, and uh, you know then we got then we started using our phones and you know just recording on the phone. Now we have a slightly nicer setup because uh, I believe. I believe in trying to produce the best quality content possible. Right. Uh, but of course, that comes from great, great content, which you're, which you know, you're really great at. So, what was your content journey like on YouTube? So, what was as a as a as an individual? Yeah. What was the first topic you made a video on, and from right. there, how is the kind of content you talk about evolved? Yeah, it's a very good question. Uh, so, when I uh, started looking at the content that I want to create. Uh, I wanted to create content which is more not on uh, not on theoretical stuff. I wanted to have more actionable stuff. And uh, the first video I created was on how you can uh, use small caps 
in a very efficient way mm-hmm. and make around 16% returns mm-hmm. so what i had done is uh, i had shown this entire trajectory that small caps and large caps take so both of them don't i mean they kind of go in the same direction but there are massive valuation gaps between small caps and large caps yeah so this is something i have observed for so many years now and there's enough literature on this mm-hmm. uh, i used that entire thing i pulled out data from nifty indices i i did that entire excel sheet this thing i did rolling returns i did trailing returns and by the time i finished that research even i was convinced that this is a great strategy <laughs> so so that's how the conviction came in that yeah. hey what i am actually putting forward is is something that uh, actually works you know because yeah, the data yeah. is saying it works then i went back and looked at what i had done over the last 4 5 6 years of doing mutual funds and i realized that i have been using this subconsciously mm-hmm. i've been using this strategy and it had been giving 2 3% higher than you know what a regular fund might have given so that was the first video so i started with uh, the 16% return on small caps i had curiosity how did that video do it did pretty well uh, i think it's a 1 lakh view wow video yeah wow Correct. pretty well so got off got off the mark of the bang man that's incredible yeah i, I got some help so i won't uh, i'll be very honest here i got some help so uh you know create a community is very small it's not yeah. like big uh yes there are a lot of people creating but then you know finance topics uh, uh really passionate about creating you know mm-hmm. kind of stuff very small yes yeah. and another thing i i realized with the creator communities a lot of people are creating correct. but the people that are consistent with creation that do quality exactly. creation is exactly. very very correct. small correct yeah. correct correct so uh if you have knowledge and if you're consistent about it you can be a superstar when it comes to content that's yeah. the last that yeah so the first kicker was given by uh, sharan finance with sharan okay so he kind of got a link to my video from somewhere mm-hmm. on day 2 and he like calls me up he says shankar you've released this thing you should have told me i said okay i'm telling you now and he put up a story so that story immediately got me a kicker of 700 subscribers ah okay then the second video was on coffee can investing mm-hmm. it's a very popular concept outside of the country even here Sora Mukherjee has that book also on coffee can investing. Uh, that was picked up by uh, Label Advisor, which is also okay. a big channel in the finance stream. And uh, this guy posted in a story, and this uh, I got like five hundred subscribers within ten minutes. And, wow! And that day, I got like some three thousand, three and a half thousand, four thousand subscribers. Wow! So I've been blessed in that way that you know I've I've helped them without even asking anything mm-hmm. in return, and. Uh, they have helped me without asking anything in return okay and and that's how this nice community is right this creator community uh i'll i'll go back to that that bane of sebi thing that you said you know <laughs> whatever that is right yeah. but look at how the creators work no, together no ab- absolutely i i and actually this is a great segue into the next subject i want to talk about which is you know what um, the value that influencers and content creators are bringing to the indian ecosystem right. and and sort of the bad actors in the space and how sebi is viewing it to some degree correct so you've been you've been doing this obviously much much longer than me so i'd love to hear from your perspective uh, a little bit about how this ecosystem has evolved and what you think it's doing for the country i think this entire jump you see in bmat accounts and this thing i think inf- uh, if influencers have played a massive part in that yeah uh, believe me uh, i i i have been in this industry so i know how a product guy in a amc or in a bank or in a uh, insurance company does a presentation it's yeah. it's tasteful yeah you don't want to listen to your own company's guy talking because 
he won't make sense yeah, yeah he's only making sense to himself he's not making sense to the person who's yeah. not at his level right that's where the influencers came in they said hey i'm going to create content that will make sense to you mm-hmm. and it kind of raised the entire financial literacy rate within the country yeah today there are so many people who understand this yeah right i i get into calls with people and uh, people say because of your videos and other people's videos uh, it kind of propelled me to learn more stuff and now i'm confident about my yeah. finances uh the direct plans which is what most mm-hmm. of us talk about uh it's jumped up because direct plans are diy plans yeah people need to understand things where do you go for understanding things you got to go to youtube exactly yeah and i want to try and you know just bolster this with some good statistics i think over the last since 2020 um there's been i think the number of demat accounts in the country have nearly doubled i think yes. there's roughly 120 million or so today and i think pre 2020 there were maybe 40 50 million I, i don't know i don't have the exact figures hopefully they'll be on screen and another really interesting statistic that i came across today in the last year alone 20 million people added were added to the mutual fund investor pool 20 million people right. started their first sip right so there's obviously you know a really a really positive side to influencers but uh, what sabi points out and what you know I, I've come to learn there's there's also a lot of people in this industry that are here to take advantage of the gullible viewer. Correct. And um, I'm sure you've come across many examples yourself. I, I've come across several examples myself. But I want to hear your thoughts on sort of how that ecosystem has played out and what's really happening and what what viewers should be aware of when they're consuming you know financial content on these platforms. So I think the the regulators which is not just the SEBI but IRDA RBI everyone has been doing a job when it comes to investor education and a lot of my advice would be kind of similar to what they have been saying that you know don't yeah. expect uh, extremely high returns yeah yeah you can't yeah. be 40% 50% yeah, a year yeah. or stuff like that uh, be careful of people who uh, you know kind of uh, are, are more uh, are more fashion than function you mm-hmm. know Uh, and and there are people like this even are, in the youtube yeah. space you have seen you know people who kind of talk like that show their screenshots of their mm-hmm. uh, that have made so much of profits and yeah. all that stuff you know these stories keep on coming from time to time so you got to be careful on this thing i would uh, i would probably link it with a, a russian proverb that says trust but verify mm-hmm. right so so you should trust people but you should also verify uh what are they really up to what have they done so far mm-hmm. uh and that applies to me as well right so if i'm saying something uh ask me the question yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so one question which will probably people won't ask is show me the data because that's what i try and do in every video of course, fine of course. Like, this is the data yeah but then i also give in the description where i got this data from i give the source mm-hmm. i say go ahead and try it yeah i give the excel sheet the worksheet saying this is the data yeah now you can try it for yourself i've used 5% you can use 7% and see for yourself of course so i i think that's a really really important uh, thing that people ought to do. i think zero does also come out with the verified verified pnl, verified correct. PNL correct. which is very very important because i think there's so many people out there that are doing uh, you know they're doing trade inducement particularly in the fno segment Uh, you obviously don't don't, don't do, do don't do very much don't do any of that. Uh, your your no idea what FNO is. Great. Yeah. So um, why why don't we talk a, b- a little bit about you know what what sort of financial instruments you talk about and the kind right. of portfolio construction you recommend. Right. So I thought we could do a little exercise. Yeah. Sure. Um, and the way the way I think people should approach their investments uh, is they they start out by identifying you know what what their needs are in life, what their wants are in life. and then figure out their asset allocation their portfolio construction and then go into instrument selection so why don't we do that right. as as an exercise 
um, how, how do you define a portfolio philosophy? Like how do you define what assets you should be holding in what proportion you should be holding these assets in? Yeah, so uh, let's pick one goal. Maybe that's sure. the best way of going around it. And let's pick a long-term goal. Sure. Uh, so let's say retirement, right? So yeah. uh, six, I'm 43 now, so 17, 18, 20 years to go before I retire. Uh, the next step is obviously how much do you need kind mm-hmm. of to retire uh, yeah. this thing. Let's keep a number of some 10 crores or something like sure. that. Okay? Uh, and then that's how you kind of go back and say, okay, how much do you have right now? what it takes for it to grow, how much you need in equity, how much should be in debt. Now, this is again a, a question that keeps on coming. And, you know, uh, earlier I used to suggest things like have 60% in equity, 40%, because this mm. you know, so you, you don't know. But now that I've reached that stage where, you know, financially there's money, you know, in the, mm-hmm. in the portfolio and everything, I have made some changes in the philosophy also. So now, for instance, I always say, hey, uh, you should work towards your debt and equity, but there'll come a time when your debt would be enough that you don't need more debt. Mm-hmm. So it's not that you have 50 crores and you have to keep 20 crores in uh, yeah. in debt because 60-40 is what my financial advisor told me. No. Yeah, yeah. That you, makes no you sense. You might be happy with just two crores in debt and then the rest of it can actually go towards equity. Mm-hmm. I've reached that stage. Okay. Okay. So I have a debt cushion with me. So I don't put anything else on debt. Mm-hmm. Okay. And everything else now goes into equity. And, and that's how I'm going to keep. Uh, in terms of how I have my own portfolio, maybe that's a good way of understanding this, is uh, presently about 63-64% is in equity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll, I'll do a breakup as well. Sure. Uh, out of that, 50% is in large caps, large caps plus international a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, 25% is in mid caps, 25% is in small caps. Okay. So I'm like a multi-cap fund. Of course. So, you know, multi-cap uses yeah, a similar yeah, 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 kind yeah. of 25-25-25 kind of a thing. Yeah. So I use kind of similar stuff. And it's pretty good actually because you get enough mid caps, you get enough small caps, and you have this large chunk in, in large caps, which are you know of where the entire market is right anyway. Of course. So so that's how I keep my equities uh, on debt. Again, I use a very simple. So I'm a fan of simplifying your investing. Mm-hmm. Uh, earlier, I was guilty of taking too many funds in and everything, mm-hmm. but now I'm very clear that when it comes to your debt portion, there are only two kinds of funds you need. One, you need a short duration uh, something which can mm-hmm. be an you can even have a fixed deposit or mm-hmm. you can have an ultra short term or a money market that mm-hmm. takes care of your short. Yeah. And then you have the long duration funds, which for me, the most comfortable one is a target maturity fund because that gives me exactly how much of yield I might yeah. get. I think a target maturity fund is basically like a pass-through instrument on, on a variety of, you know, it's, it's fixed it's income bond. Yeah, it's basically a bond. It's, bond. it's okay. basically a bond. Okay. So um, one question that I wanted to ask you in particular, and this is something that, uh, you know, there's a lot of questions about, particularly in the public. Gold is part of the portfolio. Correct. Correct. So what's your view on that? I keep gold as a part of my portfolio. So it's about six odd percent at the moment. Uh, I have been using the SIP route always mm-hmm. to collect gold. I don't put lump sum money for gold. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing it for many years now. Uh, it does act as a good hedge. I've, I've seen it myself, you know, when equities are down, the gold is up and everything. It acts like a good hedge. Also, it's not a bad instrument. Yeah. It beats inflation. Uh, last 40 years of data, gold has given uh, 9%. But you know what's very interesting about gold that I, I came to realize very recently? Uh, and uh, somebody somebody told me this. I haven't verified this with data myself, although I, I do feel it to be instinctively true. Gold in dollar terms mm-hmm. doesn't beat inflation. And it's okay. not a good instrument. Okay. But gold in repeat terms is a great instrument and consistently beats inflation. So gold is effectively 
it's the source of its returns in rupee terms or is almost entirely the rupee depreciation ah possible i i have also read something in the in those lines uh, yeah. i don't recall the exact context there but yeah this is uh, and even as a hedging instrument gold right. is better in rupee terms particularly for us ah. because when of that extra 2 3% depreciation that kind yeah and particularly because when the economy is in a bad space right. particularly when you know uh, your other investments aren't performing particularly Correct. well Correct. the currency will suffer from some depreciation issues Correct. you know something's going to happen and that gold is going to look even more better actually gold is actually a fantastic thing for conservative uh, investors because again what i've realized data is all there right it doesn't drop much mm mm-hmm. you know it doesn't go down it doesn't go down like equity 50% 30% mm. 20% uh in the last 40 years the maximum gold has ever gone down is i think 18% mm-hmm. in a single year that's mm-hmm. it i think that happened in 2013 something happened in 2013 went down by 18% otherwise in last 40 years gold has gone down by only in only 7 years mm-hmm. it's incredible it's really great yeah it's really really it's a it's a solid instrument to to have as correct part of your portfolio correct and and consistently it's about uh, 9% is what it's offering the first batch of uh, sovereign gold bonds uh, the people who had invested 8 years back so that maturity would have come out everyone would have been so happy yes of yeah. course so i i remember i was actually uh, deciding what to do with gold mm. and how to invest mm. in gold i came across one of your videos on the best mm. instrument uh, to invest in gold I, and I compared four five yeah uh, yeah yeah it was a lovely video i, I very much recommend people check it out mm. but you came to the conclusion that sgps were the right That's way to invest in gold If you if you're not sure why are you investing in gold at least from a mm-hmm. maturity perspective I mean it's a long term deal then uh, SGP def- definitely makes sense there's taxability advantages you get that additional 2 and 1/2% mm-hmm. interest rate that's there yeah uh, and and you will get back the money because it's uh, so do you know this uh, it's not backed by gold sorry what they, they call it SGB uh, sovereign gold bond it's not backed by gold it's a derivative instrument by the reserve bank of india by the government of india all the government of india is saying is i promise that whatever is the price of gold 8 years hence uh, whatever is the market price of gold i will pay you that money wow man they're taking a lot of counterparty risk on yeah, that gold yeah. it's, it's, there's, it's... there's no gold backing there <laughs> so gold packing is there in etfs gold packing mm-hmm. is there in mutual funds digital gold they say they have backing of gold not sgp but i don't think there's any any uh, any risk there because there's no sovereign risk yeah there's no sovereign risk if there is sovereign risk with bigger problems in life uh, that's that's not a, unless that's, unless we become like kazakhstan or someone sure yeah that's, that's not like okay. so um another thing you speak about quite consistently is using mutual funds as, you know for your investments correct so i'd like to ask maybe from a personal perspective do you do equities mutual funds or do you do you do a mix of both i do a mix of both uh it's always good to have a core portfolio and an opportunity portfolio right mm-hmm. so that's the way you got to mix things together uh so i spoke about those large cap mid cap small caps yeah. so it's very interesting to look what i do within that uh large caps generally are uh more on the index side right uh, not as much on the actively managed side and i use different strategies so i would use a momentum strategy i would do an index regular index kind of a thing i'll do all those things even the value strategy uh mid caps is more on the actively managed side so because i think on mid caps that additional alpha can be created by our fund managers uh, they are talented enough to do that yeah, and they can yeah. do it uh on it's on the small cap part that i actually don't use funds okay my small cap is on stocks okay very interesting so my stocks are small caps and micro caps okay and there's a reason for that uh 
So when I look at a large cap company, let's take Reliance Industries, who's going to read 600 pages of an annual report? I'll not be able to figure out the business, how everything matches together and everything. Yeah. But if you take a smaller company, a micro cap company, it's, it's just 100 pages. You can clearly understand what business this company is. How is it exactly making money? There's probably no hanky-panky, no financial engineering that's happening that might happen in a big conglomerate mm -hmm. and all that stuff, right? Uh, things are very crystal clear that this is the business. Do you want to invest there or not? And I can take a simple yes and no decision. Okay. So that's why I kind of prefer... Uh, the smaller companies to invest in directly rather than the bigger companies. So index, actively managed uh, funds and my own research. Yes, yeah. So I, I want to try and ask a couple more questions about that because um, I would actually thought it, it might be the opposite, right? Because from my perspective, I would think um, large caps is more or less a no-brainer. Like there's there's nobody, there's no fund manager that's realistically going to generate alpha on large caps it's because... It is what it is. It's, it's yeah. going to do what it's going to do. The, the universe is essentially the benchmark. Correct. So what? what it's just 100 companies. Yeah. There for them so to there's, work with. Yeah. there's not that much to be done there. So Correct. you can save whatever margin you you know you would uh, you pay the as index fees or manager fees right. or whatever whatever right. you can save that. Uh, but in mid caps and small caps, where the ability to generate alpha is so much higher, Correct. Uh, because the, the investable universe is so much larger and you know the risk factors and the risk reward ratio is so much higher. That's right. when you you're really willing to pay. Correct. A fund manager that are alpha, the fees for that alpha. Correct. But uh, you, you've gone a different approach. It's small caps, you're doing it yourself. Yeah. So, uh, uh, so I figured out things over time. You okay. Know, there's a lot of mistakes. So I started. I started investing in 2004. Okay. So I'm completing 20 years of investing. Okay. So 20 years of experience, years guys, of a lot of way. Uh, it's been on and off because yeah. you know uh, you're learning, right? So yeah, yeah. 2008 struck. Uh, you know, I, I lost my 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 entire. Uh, it it felt as if you know the world has come crashing down, yeah. right? Losing sixty percent of your wealth. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Over a few months and everything, so it's a little stopgap. But I've been a bit consistent over the last uh, five, six, seven years now. Yeah. In terms of investing, the more you read, the better it is. Of course. So you read the first annual report. You read the transcripts, and suddenly you you seem to know a lot more about the company, okay. right? So all that really works to your advantage. Uh, yeah, so my uh, small cap returns are quite comparable to what fund managers are able to extract from small caps. So I kind of uh, have confidence in my Fair abilities enough. there. Hats off, Misa. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a great achievement. Yeah. So I have a question as an investor for you. Um, what's your what's your best investment, your worst investment, and your biggest mistake? Because oftentimes I find the worst investment and biggest mistake are not necessarily the same thing. Right. Uh, so I think one of the one of the worst investments, uh, uh, and there's a lesson around it also, actually. But probably the first stock I invested in, and there's, there's a story around it, right? So the stock was Padmalia Telefilms. Okay. It was available at some 50 rupees. And why I invested in that uh, particular stock is because uh, the, the net current assets in the company was uh, about 80 rupees per share. Sure. So, so the mathematics is simple. So this is classical yeah, Benjamin yeah. Graham, right? Yeah. Where yeah. he said that, if your net current assets is like uh, two thirds, you know, three by two of the actual value of the share, then you should go ahead because yeah, yeah. there's nothing value. to lose there. Correct. Even on the liquidation, you'll get enough money out of it, right? So I did that. I, I didn't understand the concept of growth. I didn't understand the concept of risk. I didn't understand the concept of uh, contingent liabilities. I didn't understand how the media industry operates because that's what this particular company on. And uh, everything went crashing down. 
so this the stock then went down to like some three rupees or two rupees oh. or something of that sort. <laughs> yeah. So I sold at some twenty five rupees or something of that sort. But uh, yeah, so that was a lesson for me. Yeah. Right. And and that's how you pick up these these lessons. Uh, uh, another lesson that came was with Bharat Electronics, and uh, that aversion is still there. A lot of your viewers would would probably have comments on this, but I don't like to invest in government uh, majority companies or where the government is the most important customer. Yeah. Uh, reason being uh, Bharat Electronics Limited. One fine day, the government sat up and said, we won't pay you 12.5% margin, we'll pay you only 7.5%. Yeah. That's a 40% dip in share price overnight. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh my God. It's like the big bully government saying that, you know, I can change the contracts the day I want to. Yeah. And we saw a similar incident with IRCTC, right? Where they suddenly said we'll charge some money or something of that sort. I don't remember. But but then IRCTC went down immediately because of that particular thing. Yeah, so, yeah. So yeah, so these are the lessons I, I kind of picked up. Uh, in terms of my best investment or probably the investment I've kept for quite some time is Maruti Suzuki uh, Limited. Uh, I think I bought it at some 500 or something of that sort. It's, it's gone up. When was this? 2007. Wow. 2007, 2008, I think. Yeah. Wow. 2008, like at the bottom? At the bottom. Oof. Yeah. Wow, man. That yeah. must have, that the must have been. Have also come in. Of course, of course. That's a truly spectacular investment. Yeah. yeah. So, so uh, there's a very nice thing by Monish Pabrai, one of his talks actually, uh, worth watching. It's called the PE of one. Uh, PE of one is basically try and find securities, which at some point, the sooner the better, can actually reach a stage where the money you paid for that stock equals the net profits uh, per share of that particular stock in any year. Mm -hmm. This can happen the next year, 10 years later, 20 years later. The farther it is, the more, uh, sure. you know, it's, it's not as good as an investment. The, the nearer it is, the better it is, you know, that kind of this thing. Sure. Uh, I don't have an Indian example, but uh, one of the foreign examples, and that's because of the valuations being down, is Alibaba. Alibaba can be at a PE of one in the next three years, four years, which is incredible. Yeah. You pay a rupee, you pay a dollar, and the net profits that that company is generating is a dollar. See, I'll be honest with you. I have an issue with Alibaba. I, <laughs> I, put, I put some money there. I lost a lot of money on that stock. Yeah, that's because it's gone down. <laughs> I'm talking about today. Right? Today's a great day, right? No. So, so I, think, I think China, for example, right? I, I, you know, I have a newsletter which I've just recently started, and I did one on China. Uh, I was sure it's going to get emotions out of people, you know, because it's a very touchy topic, right? But I feel uh, the Chinese stock market is right now at the point of maximum pessimism. It can't go lower than this. It's, I mean, everyone hates China. Yeah. Whether it's the Indians, whether it's the Americans, anyone. Everyone hates China. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a great time to buy stock as an investor. Yeah. Yeah, so keep your emotions aside, your nationalistic fervor aside. And, and you adorn the hat of an investor and you start seeing the rays of sunshine. But China. you know, the thing with China is it, just in the same way you like avoiding companies where the main shareholder uh, is, is a government entity. That's the case with everything in China. But then you're talking about the state-owned enterprises, right? No, no. Even, even, even the private companies like mm. Alibaba as an example, mm. they serve at the behest of the state. Right. Like, you know, and this is why I think maybe we've reached the point of maximum pessimism. But I can very realistically see uh, Xi Jinping turning around tomorrow and saying, you know, I need all companies to do ABCD things because I want to change the culture of the, the country. Like, oh, you need to give two years maternity or paternity leave to everyone because we need the population to come. Which right. is like, 
you can do that you can do that yeah correct that's when it becomes a contrary in bet what if it does the exact opposite your money will grow by 10 times that's always the risk reward right of these that's of the, these so so it's it's like investing when the odds are in your favor you have one to lose and you have 10 to gain isn't those great odds those are great odds i that's I, that's what the point of maximum pessimism is you want to lose you have 10 to gain okay so what if xi jinping says i'm pro business once again alibaba go and open as many caves you want mm. perhaps uh, maybe maybe i'll give that that article a, a, you know much longer read and, and we yes, can sir. have a more detailed discussion sure. on that Definitely. um so i guess let's let's get back to the example we had set out at the start right, right. so you know you've identified for for you know a normal retail investor your long term retirement goal is 10 cr you have you know some money today um how and you know you're generally incrementally earning money and saving money how would you design the the portfolio from an asset and a instrument allocation perspective do you have any yeah. thoughts uh, so like i said the the debt cushion comes in then the rest of it becomes your equity that's mm-hmm. uh, a very simple way of how i will look at things uh, i'll definitely rebalance my portfolio from time to time once a year not mm-hmm. not very often once a year and the expectation from the portfolio would be about uh, 30 not percent okay on a, on a blended so, basis so you i have i have a particular logic that i i try and apply when i try and set a portfolio expectation mm-hmm. i'd like to hear what you have like when you say this is the target return this is what i want from right. the portfolio how do you come to that number a very simple one uh, inflation plus 6% yeah that's it Correct. i don't look at anything else yeah yeah i do the exact same i do okay. i do i do nice. inflation plus growth actually okay okay because i figure right. you want to maintain your share of the wealth of this country right uh, the wealth of this country grows with right. gdp growth rate so right. inflation is is how fast it depreciates so inflation plus growth yeah so there's this one uh, there's one difference of view i have there in my case if the gdp grows by x the stock market return grows by 2x the stage mm-hmm. at which at which india is yeah uh, that's how it is for different countries it's different yeah for uh, for china it's ultra right at the moment yeah, yeah, yeah. right it's it's uh, the the gdp is still growing right by 5% that's the yeah. growth target and probably they've achieved it and the markets were down for the last 3 years right but look at the us growing at 2 3% but the markets have been up by 10% consistently for so many years right yeah, yeah. so so again there is a 1 is to 5 kind of this thing for india at the stage where we are it's 1 is to 2 yeah so 7% gdp growth 40% is what you should expect from the stock markets. Yeah, that's how the balance I keep. Okay. Uh, a lot of corporations uh, in the US, especially multinational corporations, where more than 50% of the revenue comes from outside the US, they use a global GDP cross 2 as their annual target. Okay. I worked at uh, G, mm-hmm. G at that time was the biggest in terms of revenue in the world, mm-hmm. and they used uh, so 4% was the global target for GDP. Yeah, their target would be eight percent, yeah, and and like clockwork it will work, and I got to know that even the other corporations like McDonald's and uh, Domino's and everyone would use that similar function, yeah. saying yeah. global GDP multiplied by two, that's our target for the year. That makes a lot of sense because with operating leverage, shareholder value, correct? Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. So uh, one thing that you also speak about quite consistently. Now we've identified what your asset allocations got to be. Right. Uh, I think, like me, you're a major fund evangelist. You quite believe in using them in the right way at the right time. So how would you go about identifying the right mutual funds for, you know, our fictional investor and their retirement goal? Yeah. So uh, as I said, that breakup which I told you, the large, the mid, and the small cap. So that is one style that I will definitely use. I even referred to. saying i'll probably use an index in the large this thing an mm-hmm. actively managed mid cap there 
uh, a small cap would be slightly different in this thing. Now I've gone, uh, I've become a fan of using different investing styles. Okay. It was something that, uh, okay, not my fault, but we didn't have much options in terms of investing style. Everything was market cap related. Yeah. Now I, I, I actually encourage more and more people and people are doing it actually. Uh, I'm getting people to move into different investing styles, like either use a value or a momentum. I'm a big fan of momentum. Mm-hmm. My education doesn't allow me to think that momentum is a great thing because <laughs> it seems very counterintuitive, right? That yeah. uh, uh, this thing has gone up and therefore it will go up further. Yeah. You know, we, we think the other way, right? It's gone up too much, so therefore it should go down. But yeah. momentum says the exact opposite, right? Uh, I'm, I, I'm now a believer. I was not a believer of this for so many years. Okay. Last four, five, uh, not even four, five, last two, three years of looking at data, studying data. And thankfully, YouTube allows me to kind of change my notions from time to time. And when I study data, I get to know better things. Uh, now, I'm a believer in momentum. And now, 15%, uh, 15, 16, 17% of my portfolio is actually into momentum. Okay. Yeah, using a combination of Nifty 200, uh, Momentum 30, and the new mid-cap 150, Momentum 50 has just come in. So, it's, it's, it's really been... I'm really pushing my uh, funds towards momentum now and keeping a decent portion there. So a combination of market cap funds and uh, style related funds, yeah. factors as we call but, it. But you know what I've what I've come to realize though when looking at investment styles is that each investment style now has has a particular phase when That's it works correct. very well. That's correct. Like we're in the phase where momentum is correct. a great op- option. Correct. Uh, back in 2008, value would have probably been correct. a great option. Correct. So how do you find the right balance between these different things? I have a video stuff? on this. Uh, I, was, I was reading something and uh, there was, it was a long study. And there was somewhere, you know, there was a small line uh, which said, uh, generally momentum and value are weakly correlated. I'm like, that's a great line. Let me explore this further. So what I did is I took this momentum fund, the index, mm-hmm. I took the value index, I meshed them together. And I said, let's see what I can make out of it. Uh, after rebalancing it and everything, you know how much I got? I got 16.2%. Oh, wow. Over 17 years. Then I did a rolling return. I said, oh, that might be a fluke. But because these two are negatively correlated, not negatively correlated, weekly, weekly correlated, weekly right? Correlated, yeah. yeah. Rolling returns were actually pointing whether you use a three-year rolling return, five-year, seven-year, 10-year, it doesn't matter. Everywhere you're getting about 152 15.3, 15.4%. Not bad. So, but how do you define the the uh, the fund allo- the, the capital allocation between these two investing styles? That's uh, anyone's call. So, I used a 50-50. Okay. Because, you know, that's anyone's call, right? And you're right. Uh, momentum does extremely well in bull markets. Momentum doesn't do well in bear markets. Value does better in bear markets. It doesn't do well in uh, bull, markets. bull markets, correct? So I use that logic. So somewhere you have to use the logic, right? And what was the rebalancing period you applied? Uh, annual, once a year. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Very, very interesting. So I did that and did that over 17 years and I figured that this is a great strategy. Now I had been doing momentum. I had not been using the value index. So mm-hmm. the very next day I <laughs> set up the SIP for my value, value fund as well. Fair enough, man. That's a that's a really, really cool insight. And I think yeah. maybe that's something that this this I'll, video I'll has done well, by the way. It's, of it's, course, it's two, of two course. and a half lakhs or something. Of course, like it's yeah. it's a people loved it. I would love to know what the drawdown on that consolidated yeah. strategy is. Uh, yeah, so so I think one of the risks which I, I could definitely see is that at the end of the day, both of them are equity instruments. Yeah. You know, whatever you say, equity is equity at the end of the yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. If the world is coming down, it's going to come down, right? And uh, there were drawdowns, uh, not as deep as 
what you expect in a market cap or in a momentum, this thing, the value took care of some of it. But yet, uh, uh, when uh, maybe it was 2008, when mm -hmm. the, everything was down, this one went down by some 28%. There was another period where it went down by some 14%. So yeah, so these are equity funds, right? It's going to go down yeah, if everything yeah, yeah, else yeah. is going down. But it's, it's weak. There is some counterbalancing yeah, yeah. which is happening. No, I just, way. I mean, I'd love to compare the drawdown of this strategy to the drawdown of like a... Uh, naked nifty you know just how, hmm. how that worked out right or drawdown of the 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 respective bench either benchmark so to speak because if you would think uh, the value would protect your drawdown a little bit on on the bottom and the momentum gives you the upside that you want to the bull here's an interesting uh, metric that came out of it uh, and i was just trying out multiple things right i noticed that the drawdowns are lower when i did this momentum plus value 50 50 kind of combination but the volatility was still higher also, so it's like it's like you know this is the wave, that's that's happening and the wave is happening, right? It's not that they were like perfectly uh, counterbalancing with each other. Right. Maybe maybe this was at zero, this was up, and you know this was so something was happening. Uh, when I did the standard deviation calculations, the volatility was actually higher okay. as compared to the Nifty Fifty, but the drawdowns were were much more manageable and controllable. Okay. So, as an equity investor, I expect volatility. Yeah. Right, that's yeah. going to be there. What would really, you know, wrench my heart is if suddenly my money goes down by forty percent. Yeah. So I think somewhere this combination was taking care of that particular thing. That's really interesting, and I'm sure a lot of the viewers here that haven't checked out this video, mm -hmm. and I can't imagine there's very many that haven't. Uh, I'm sure they'll all go check it out. Yes, it's a good one. Yeah, yeah. people loved it. So I guess um, I'll move on to my final question of of, of the podcast, and um, I just want to generally have a talk and, and try and. Pick your brain on what you think this next year holds for the Indian markets. Yeah, so generally, uh, there's there's uh, there's hardly any negativity around uh, that I can see. You know, uh, you don't you don't hear much uh, that's that's going on. Uh, at least from an Indian space, I think the next year should also be a decent year, not as good as what we have been seeing for the last two three years, but should be a decent year because a the valuations are not very expensive. Yeah. Yeah, if you look at your forward uh, one year, it's 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 about twenty. Yeah, it's okay, right? Yeah, I've I've seen times when it's twenty eight. Yeah, yeah, I've seen yeah. those times as well, right? Yeah. So this is nothing actually if you go with that particular regard. Second is in terms of the push that's happening on certain things like infrastructure, for example, all this digitization. That's I mean we're still in the infancy of digitization. That's yeah, there. yeah. All these PLI schemes, the semiconductor thing. I was watching this. Excellent documentary on DW. Uh, it's coming recently uh, on semiconductors and stuff. Uh, they mentioned, you know, India is a strong uh, uh, potential competitor over the next five years. That's that's going to come in. So all these things are lining up well. That's the mm -hmm. that's the really good part. Uh, I would say that probably the fate of the uh, of the of the of the future of a country is actually in our hands, as compared, to, you know, when we. Talk about China, and we see that yeah, US yeah. is doing this yeah. and this thing. And I think this this is maybe the first time in our independent history that's genuinely true. Correct, correct, correct. Exactly. So uh, people uh, want India's business. I mean, they want to be here. So that's a kind of an insulation that happens, right? So it kind yeah. of insulates our uh, different sectors, etc. But what we are doing internally, I think it's good. The other big factor that's coming is not not as much as what we want, but still there is on the capex that's coming in uh, the public capex is anyway there 
Yeah. Government is spending a yeah. lot of money. Yeah. But even the private capex has started. Yeah, private capex in the last quarter has really picked up. It's, it's picked up. Uh, I I read a lot of these earnings calls. Mm-hmm. Listen to those earnings calls. You can you can see that you know where some of the CEOs when they talk they are surprised that you know how much money they are so happy to spend now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. It's, it's a sense of I know this is going to work for me. That's the kind of uh, uh, you know kind of uh, rigor that's there today that uh, will help us in the future. Uh, it's not easy to predict, but the signs are strong. Yeah, uh, that's how at least I look at it. Uh, I think the India story is is there at least for the next ten odd years. Yeah, yeah, for uh, there's, sure. There's nothing for sure. I think we're I think the next ten odd years you'll probably have a full economic cycle, so full, full downturn, back up again. But the story should stay intact. Correct, correct. But correct. one thing, uh, one thing in particular over the next year that I've been speaking to a few people about is there's an expectation there's a lot of FIR money coming in as the next set of interest rate cuts Correct. start getting fully priced in, more forward guidance comes into play, uh, that yield hunger will sort of reignite in FIR capital and come like a flood to India. So um, there's a hope, at least in a lot of people that I'm speaking to, that this next year will yeah, be a blowout. The, the only here. problem with FIR money is like, it's like hot money. All it does is increases the valuation. Yeah. It, it it's, it's not capital that yeah. can be used yeah, it's not productive capital. Exactly. It's not productive right. capital. The FDI is is the productive capital coming in, right? The FII yeah. is is all still hot money that comes in and goes out, you know, yeah, yeah, and yeah. fancies of international fund managers and Morgan Stanley's and Moody's of the world yeah, putting yeah. in a credit rating for us, right? So yeah, so that's there. But uh, yeah, any money is always welcome. Uh, so <laughs> yes, the FII money coming in still always good. But yes, uh, I think uh, uh, we're getting more and more insulated of this FII money. I remember when uh, I started my investing this thing, FIR money was like God showering yeah. you know, gold coins on us You know, yeah, at that yeah. time. The institutional, the DII money was nothing. The retail money was even nothing. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. Now we're, now we're bigger than FIR money, or at least have been in the last couple of years. Correct. So it's a it's a unprecedented counterbalance. Correct. But, you know, that we've never had before. I, I tweeted... Uh, or, or I think I WhatsApped Mukesh, uh, ET Money CEO, that, uh, uh, you know, I was telling him that when we started ET Money 2016 is when we started the MF uh, sales thing. Uh, the entire country's uh, SIP was like some 5,000 or 6,000 crores. Uh, now it's like, I think, 18, 19,000 crores is what yeah. goes in every yeah, yeah. month, right? So so it's 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 kind of 3 x yeah, and and this is big, right? So uh, that's what has happened over the last eight years. And and you know what's interesting is that this is the other thing I wanted to talk to you about is that a lot of this retail money mm. and this SIP money that's been coming in is being brought in by players like ET Money. So just right. to try and uh, you know present some numbers, forty percent of all incremental investors are now coming in through digital first direct plans uh, through oh. apps like Grow and ET right. Money and uh, you know, Paytm and PhonePay and the like. And grows, right. I think, got about 5.4 4 million SIPs. Right. Uh, ET Money has crossed a million SIPs. Right. Uh, Paytm's just about touching a million SIPs. Mm. So I think it's it's platforms like that that have pulled a lot of people into the capital ecosystem. Correct, correct, correct. Uh, like, you know, even... Uh, so I can tell you from an ET Money perspective that uh, uh, this is always in our head. Uh, see, we... we we started ET Money at a time when even we would uh, operate only on the web. Yeah. We didn't know how to, you know, how can anyone even buy something on an app? 
especially a financial product right yeah, yeah, yeah. so we were always web oriented you know we'll open that uh, you know on the laptop we'll open that browser yeah, and we'll yeah. write something and stuff uh, but mukesh was insistent insistent he was like no we'll be mobile first only and it was the same time when you know flipkart had started or mintra had started something where they shut off their website and they said you know we will be an app only kind of player yeah. and and that was running and we were like you know we should have that web this thing this won't work and this no no we're going to do it and then when we saw people actually adapting the entire mobile thing and finding it so much so much more useful right you can just open oh okay this is much i'm able to uh in terms of this is a very interesting statistic uh the maximum uh, open uh, throughout the day mm-hmm. 24 hours when do you think people used to open et money app the most what time of the day um 3:30 3:35 market close uh they used to open at 10 o'clock at night oh because 10 o'clock is when the navies get updated and oh. they want to look at oh how much did i make today how much did i make today okay yeah yeah these I, are the kind I, of user yeah. behaviors which I, we saw I, I suspect, like, people Correct. people uh, like seeing aaj kitna bana another very interesting statistic uh, about 60% of et money's sips and investors there uh, were from not from metros not from tier 1 but from tier 2 3 4 etc yeah i still remember these three gentlemen had come to our office uh, early morning uh, so i get a call that sir someone has come in please come okay so i go down to the reception and there were three young men uh, all of them were impaired uh, they could not speak they could not uh, hearing deficiency they were i think employed in the Haryana Provident Fund office or something of that sort. I still remember that. Uh, I was communicating with them, you know, writing stuff on my notepad, saying this mm-hmm. is what you want. We resolved whatever was the problem there uh, with them. There was some understanding problem. But then I went back and I sat down. Look at this. This is what we wanted to achieve, right? Yeah. Uh, complete accessibility. Anyone can actually use this particular thing. Yeah. Uh, we also used to do these calls where we would uh, talk to people randomly. so i connected with a lady uh, who runs a kinara shop in porbandar and uh, like oh, what are you doing with eating money app and she's like you know paisa jo puchta hai main 500 paisa hi nikalti wow man now i think uh, i think this sip in the inclusion of of more and more people in the mm-hmm. capital markets i think that's truly how we get from you know where we are today to the next step in this country's evolution so just you know one thing the, the reason i started this podcast is right. I, i was born in 95 right. uh, when i was born we were at 500 in per capita gdp hmm. um last year we crossed crossed 2500 500 yeah. dollars um i think if we can meaningfully include people in the capital markets uh, really aggressively then by 2030 i think we can hit 5000 in per capita right. gdp right it's our growth is 7% they hit 5000 dollars we need 9 and 9.5% or so so 9.5% growth in gdp yeah we need yeah. 9.5% combined right. growth in gdp to right. hit 5000 dollars per capita right. we're at 7% so there's a little little gap yeah, yeah. but yeah. i think if we if we really juice up the investments in this country and and get more and more people involved in capital market investing then not only the markets become more efficient the people have more capital to spend Yeah, and, um, and lifts the burden from the government yeah. also, right? I mean, they don't have to spend on welfare schemes, etc. Yeah. That money can be used for other stuff, right? Yes, yes. It's, it's, it's a uh, yeah. It's it's what you call as a circular economy, right? You yeah. do one good thing, and it kind of 
uh, virtuous circle. Yeah, it's, it's a virtuous, virtuous circle. circle. Correct. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I think you know, uh, great content creators like you are so critical to that. You know, because we look at the journey that you know people like yourself have taken this country through, and. Uh, Please don't stop. There's a lot more yeah, to go. There's you. another hundred million people to bring yes, in. The yes, there are, bring there in. is still a lot to be done. Actually, that's true. Yeah, that's true. So um, I think that's all the questions I have for you. Just one last thing: Do you have any advice out there for you know new young content creators like myself? Because you've been doing this for a long time and you've had a lot of success with it. Um, what can I do to be more successful and deliver more value to people? Yeah. So uh, so one is obviously uh, as we said the. Two things that's important. One is the knowledge part. Uh, what happens when you become a content creator? Na? The the thirst for creating content increases, and the uh, the luxury of gaining knowledge decreases because you don't find time. Yeah, that's something which has happened to me as well. I've seen so many people who are unable to spend that time to read a book or to you know kind of watch a nice. Uh, Uh, you know, interview that's happening on TV or a documentary or stuff like that. So that's first. I think consistency is number one. Uh, sorry, the knowledge is number one. Second is consistency. Uh, you you have to post on a regular basis. Yeah. Uh, the moment you miss one, you are likely to miss the second one as well. Yeah. So that's. Uh, And the moment you the moment you lose that the time space that you've really worked hard to gain in a user's Correct. mind, I'll never come back. Uh, third is have a strategy. A uh, lot of people. Try and copy others. They don't have a, they don't have the authenticity of their own, right? So, for example, when I started my this thing, I had a very clear strategy that I'm going to make, I'm going to do five things which are better than other people, which itself is a very uh, lofty goal to have, yeah. right? Uh, I said I'm going to make data better than, I mean, content better than other people, and I'll use data for that. Okay, so that's going to be my uh, kind of cut through the clutter uh, moment. The second thing I thought is I'm going to uh, make thumbnails which are better than anyone else. So I, I worked on that. Uh, third i said i'm going to answer every comment that comes in so i don't leave comments every comment i will answer it unless some really wacko kind of a thing <laughs> but but generally 95% yeah. of the comments get get answered uh then uh i was like i'm not going to push myself too hard so i'm going to take breaks when i want to take a break i'll be very authentic with people if this is a paid video for example i'm going to say that it's a paid video and stuff like that So I created these four five things, and I said, you know, this is the image that I want people to have. Uh, the fourth thing is that be very clear as to what the audience you serve. I don't serve beginners. I don't serve an audience where a person says, "Hey, I don't know what an SIP is." That guy uh, will probably not find too much of value on my channel. So my channel works better for people who are beginner plus. People who know what a mutual fund is have probably been investing in a mutual fund. For the last two three years, maybe they've dabbled with stocks as well. My channel is actually good for them. Yeah. So I, I made sure that you know this is the 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 set of people. And another advantage I got of that is I noticed that at the lower rung there are there's too much of competition. There are like thousands of creators there. But the moment you take it up a little bit, there are a few of us. Mm. You know, me, SOIC, Sahil. You know, just a few of us. Yeah. You know, who can make that kind of a, a content and they love making that particular content. Yeah. So, so these are five, six things, you know, which when you start, when you start, you know, kind of thinking through these layers that are there, uh, things get a lot easier. Uh, the idea is not to do too much. The idea is to do the right things. That's very important with content creation. Fair enough. I think that's really, really useful advice. Uh, thank you so much for sharing. Most welcome.
and and thank you so much for coming on this podcast it's been a really lovely conversation i've had the opportunity to learn a lot from you i'm sure a lot of our viewers have also had the opportunity to learn a lot from you and uh, my my pleasure uh, i really appreciate you sharing your time with us thank you so much thank you this podcast is produced by elixir equities private limited a savvy registered research analyst registration number ina 00004787 the information provided in this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only and should not be considered as investment advice investment in securities market are subject to market risk we strongly advise all investors to read all related documents carefully before investing